Remain standing for today's scripture from Luke 18. Listen to the word of God. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The word of the Lord. Triumphant King, we ask that our hearts and minds may be tuned to your word. Bless Pastor Andrew as he brings your word to us. May our ears be open and our eyes be open for us to see, hear, and listen. Bless our worship and service to you in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Seated. Continuing on, looking at these encounters with Jesus, people who are flocking to him today. Of course, we have this blind man. Uh, some of the other synoptic gospels actually give him a name, Bartimaeus. Um, and uh, this is a, a pretty well-attested story a, across the gospel writers. It, it's a story that really does focus on the ability to see, uh, to, to see, to be seen. Uh, if you look at the passage immediately before this in Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus is foretelling his death. I mean, he's clearly on the path. So in terms of Palm Sunday, he's on the path towards Jerusalem. He's on the path uh, where he knows that, that he will die. And he's trying to tell his disciples this, and, and they won't see it. They won't believe it. The, the text actually says it was hidden from them. And then right after that, Luke shares the story with us of, of a man who is given his sight. And in some ways, that's, that's the call for all of us. You know, will we see Jesus for who he is? Will we see the story for how it's unfolding and what it means in our lives? That's the question. I think part of, you know, maybe approaching this is actually getting a sense of this story. I, you know, we have these narratives, they don't come to us just as propositional truths, but they come to us in narrative form, and we're told a number of things about this journey. Uh, we're told that Jesus is, is traveling along a particular road. It was in Jerusalem. I'm sure it was hot. It was dusty. Uh, all of those things were going on. There was a crowd around him. It was uh, a crowd that was maybe excited. They were around this teacher. Folks would, would flock to him, and so they were being 
carried along inside of that crowd. Uh, it was a crowd that perhaps was unsure where they were going or what would happen. You know, Jesus says these confusing things about dying, what does that mean, murmuring amongst themselves. And suddenly, as they're walking, they hear this loud shouting, uh, the shouting from, who is it? it Oh, it's that blind guy over there, that guy that we've seen him in this road, but, but now he's shouting, he's trying to get Jesus' attention, but we're going somewhere, and so those who are in the front, it says, are, are rebuking Bartimaeus, rebuking the blind man, saying, hey, keep it down, will you? The, you know, don't bother the teacher. Uh, this is the type of thing that would come up over and over again as, as people would try to get in touch with Jesus. Those who were his disciples would say, don't, don't bother him. You know, just, just stay a wallflower. Just stay out of the way. Just stay the elevator music. Don't bring attention to yourself. But he's insistent. And, and Jesus eventually stops and invites him to come asks him what he wants. He says, I, I want to see. I want, I want to have my sight restored. And Jesus does it. What are you thinking now if you are in this crowd? Uh, you've just watched this incredible miracle. I mean, we've known this guy. He's been blind for all these years. Uh, his sight is restored. And now here he is among the crowd with you. A minute ago, he was off to the side, kind of outcast. Now he's among the crowd with you. What are your emotions? What are your thoughts? What's going on inside of you? This is the, the story that we're invited into this morning. Again, it's another encounter with Jesus. We see this, this blind man flocking to him and finding uh, finding healing, finding wholeness, finding restoration. Uh, and we come this week with our own needs to see, our own needs to, to understand, to make sense of the world. Um, I think most of you know that the tragedy that happened in Nashville um, is, is something that is part of our broader family, happened within our denomination uh, of churches, and uh, we are one degree of separation from a number of the people there, whether it's the pastor or people at school or whatever it might be. And we, we need to see, like, Lord, what does this mean? Uh, you know, this is just one act of violence and you know, it's almost a weekly occurrence in, in our world, but how do we understand this? How do we make sense of it? What, what sort of uh, questions do we ask? What sort of answers do we receive? And I think as we walk through this passage, we will actually maybe be surprised at, at how much we find in this narrative. So I want to look at it through that lens, namely the lens of, of seeing, and uh, ask two questions with three answers each. Uh, so what do we see through the eyes of Jesus uh, as he's walking along the road? And then what can we see through the eyes of the blind man? What do we see through the eyes of Jesus? Well, as we've already alluded to, we, the first thing that we encounter as we're walking along is, is we see an outcast. Uh, Bartimaeus, 
as his name is, is an outcast. He's, he's blind. He's marginalized because of that. He can't hold a job. He, he can't participate in the life of the community in the same way. And so he's pushed off to the side of the road. There were a lot of folks in that day and age who found themselves outcast, marginalized. You had the blind. We, we'll see the lame being in a similar place. We, we see those who are demon-possessed. Uh, we see those with leprosy. There, there are all sorts of ways that, that people are outcasts. If you were a widow... Uh, you were on the marginalized. Uh, if you were a criminal, those are all sorts of ways. And if we notice, you know, through the eyes of Jesus again, we, we realize that the crowd has no time for the outcast. Uh, the crowd, it's really surprising here, but maybe not so surprising. You know, who's coming? Uh, he can hear. Uh, he knows that there is something exciting happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then verse 39, those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. I mean, it's really surprising, isn't it? Like, here's a guy who's just asking for help. We know that Jesus is a miracle worker. He's done things before. He's crying out, but they say, don't. Don't bother him. And again, this is a pattern. You know, whether it's the, the people bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples rebuking them or here the crowds rebuking these folks that cry out. Jesus sees the outcast and he sees a community that has no time for the outcasts. I wonder what Jesus sees when he looks at our community, yes, our church community, but I just think overall, you know, we, who are the outcasts in our society? Who are those who are marginalized? You know, what, what, are, what is our response to those that are marginalized? It, it could be some of the same things that they experienced in the first century, could be physical uh, challenges that push people to the margins of our society. Could be educational opportunities that folks have, depending on the community that you are in, that could push you to the margins of society. Maybe your English isn't so good, and you know it's difficult to be in the flow of things. There's, there's lots of ways that, that people are marginalized. You know, your marital status, all, all sorts of different things. What does Jesus see when he sees our community? What does he see when he sees my heart? You know, how, how am I? Am I there rebuking them uh, because kind of messing up the, the smoothness of the operation? Uh, because it, it's, it's not as easy or it's not as fun anymore to invite and to welcome. It's a question. Jesus certainly sees this and he observes it, and he recognizes that this is what he came to, to fix. This is what he came to redeem. This is uh, what he came to save, because he recognizes that this community that he is, re that he is seeing is under the power of sin. 
So this is our, our second sub-point there. Uh, it, it's not only the, the blindness, which is certainly part of it. You know, oftentimes when we think of sin, we, we think about the things that we're guilty of. I lied to my wife, or I lied to my parents, or I, I looked at something I shouldn't have, or I stole something. We, we tend to think about those things as, as sin, and that's definitely true. Uh, those are under the category of what we call the guilt of sin. Uh, there are things that we do that we harbor in our heart, that we do with our hands, all of these things. That, that's the guilt of sin. But there's also the, the pollution of sin. Uh, where we see the brokenness of the world, we see physical handicaps, we see, uh, we see uh, cancer, we see all these sorts of things. We see systems that don't work right because it's not only the sky, but the whole, the whole thing isn't working correctly. And Jesus sees it all for what it is. He says this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And this is what I came to fix. I came to save individual souls, and I came to bring shalom, peace, uh, to the entirety of what is broken. Now, of course, it's going to take some time. Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom, but it's not going to be consummated. It's not going to be complete. It's not going to reach its telos until... Uh, until Jesus comes again, that, that second coming, that's when it will all be finished. But this is what Jesus has inaugurated, this wholehearted shalom, uh, this whole system healing. This is what he sees, and this is what he came to fix. The third thing, though, that we see through Jesus' eyes is we see somebody who is desperate and who is longing to see. I think this is one of the things, at least in terms of my study and, and this passage this week, our particular time, uh, the Spirit just zeroed in my heart towards. Um, Jesus asks these questions, you know, what is it that you want from me? The guy is crying out, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. He, he knows that he needs mercy. He's, he's desperate for help. He knows his situation. He knows that he, he's an outcast and all of these other things. He knows that. But when Jesus brings him in front, he says, what do you want from me? And what he's really asking is, you know, beyond just a general sort of malaise, a, a general sort of brokenness, can you name it specifically what it is that you want? And this is where the, the really beautiful part of this passage comes in, because the man, he doesn't, you know, he could have said a lot of different things. He's like, I, you know, I really need some money. I need to, that's, he was after all a beggar, that's what he was hoping for, I, I need to know where my next meal is going to come from, I need some support, I need all of these different things. He could have asked for just a return to society, somebody to care for him, uh, somebody to really, he could have asked for those types of things, but he does get right to the root, and he says, Lord, I, I want you to give me my sight back, I want to see. I want to be able to, you know, see the, the birds and, and 
see the rocks and the stone and the dust, and I want to see your face, and I want to see these people. I, I want to be able to see. And of course, this is what you know, Luke and the Holy Spirit are trying to get to us because this is ultimately all of our need. You know, Jesus is declaring who he is. He's telling what his mission is. He's holding this before the disciples, and, and they can't see it. But here this blind man is able to get right to the heart and say, this is all of our problem. We can't see it. I want to see. Now, Part of this comes into our world and, and challenges us, and, and it asks us, do we really want to see? You may say, well, I, I see fine. <laughs> it, the disciples probably would have said the same thing. You know, physically, they could, they could see fine, but they were still blinded. They didn't have clear insight into who they were what their true need was. They didn't recognize that they needed a Savior who would actually go and die in their place. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see what the mission of Jesus is. They, there was a fog uh, that was over their eyes. They needed to see. And the same thing is true for us. The problem is, you know, this man says, I want to see. Would we say the same thing? I mean, do we really want to see? Again, I, I've been doing a fair amount of reading recently. I mean, you really can't avoid it just on, you know, some of the ways that our online habits are affecting us as modern people, uh, young people especially, uh, but it, it's all over the place. Young people are just a bit more honest about the whole thing, I think, than uh, older people. But one of the reasons why, in a, in a recent report, they, they interviewed a bunch of 10, 12, 14-year-olds, and they were talking about why they, they loved the online community is because they didn't have to be themselves. They could be someone else. Uh, I can hide. I can, uh, I, I can just uh, sort of exist in these spaces without this level of honesty, without this level of scrutiny that, that shows me uh, for who I am, that other people can see. In other words, there, there's a desire to remain blind, to remain blind to who we are, to remain blind to the things that plague us, to remain blind to our true need. Here's how one commentator puts it. All across people, all across our culture, you find people eager to abandon this, uh, this ability to see uh, that really is uh, changing the way that we foster and maintain human connections so that we can fall deeper into a pit of self-focused distraction. Here we have kids, but also adults, talking about why they prefer online life. They like being online more than living their real lives because their online lives serves as an intermediary and a distraction from what they don't like about themselves, what they don't like about their world. Online, you can mute yourself. You can, you can render yourself an unperson. 
You can remove yourself from existence, and in so doing, you can avoid the pain of being alive. Because you see, if we really see, then we're going to see the ugliness. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that a lot this week with, with Nashville, and as I mentioned earlier, it's something that's a little closer to community, to our community. Um, happens all the time. I mean, there's been 130 classified mass killings in the United States this year. Uh, and that's in 2023. That's like one a week. Um, more than that. Um, yeah, one a day, exactly. Um, you know, if we have our eyes open, we're going to see things that we don't like. We're going to see things that have a deep need. We're going to see things about our world. We're going to see things uh, about ourselves if we truly have our eyes open. I was reminded of uh, I was reminded of Jack Miller, who is a pastor theologian. He's passed away now, but he's been influential in a lot of our lives. We did a uh, devotion book from him a couple of years ago. And he went through an exercise at one time in his life where he asked those closest to him, if you could change one thing about me, what would it be? Uh, he wanted to see. And he knew there were things about himself that others could see that, that he could not. And, and so he said, if you really love me, will you tell me this? Now, he didn't like what he heard. He's like, well, Jack, you know, you're actually an angry guy. He's like, well, what do you mean I'm angry? I'm not angry at all. So he asked somebody else, and they said, well, Jack, you're, you're actually kind of an, an angry guy. And then, you know, he goes to the third person and they, he said, do, do I seem like an angry person? Yes, Jack, you're very angry. He, he didn't like that he, it, because it's not how he saw himself. But he knew that if he really wanted to know the mercy and the grace of the Savior, he needed to live with his eyes open. And, and that's ultimately what, what this story is helping us do to see, to actually see and not look away, to realize that the darkness that is inside us, that the darkness that is in our world requires more than just uh, a plastic Savior who, who doesn't really get his hands dirty and that doesn't have to go to a cross. It required a flesh and blood Savior who was on his way to the cross and who would, it would necessitate that he would have to die for our saviors. If we have, a, for our salvation, if we have our eyes open, that's what we'll see. And Jesus recognizes that this man had put his finger on his true need and he granted that to him. He gave him back his sight. So what do we then see through the eyes of this blind man? 
Well, we, we see one who is that Savior that we need. Notice, you know, he, he hears the murmurs. He knows something that's going on. Oftentimes when you lose one sense, your other senses are heightened. He can't see, but he knows that somebody is passing by. He, he knows that the situation has changed. And he asks, who, who's coming? And they say, well, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Well, it's, you know, a common name, Jesus. It's like saying it's John of of Grand Rapids, you know, it's like, of course, you know, but it's even worse than that. It's kind of like, I don't want to pick on any communities here, but Nazareth was not a great community. Uh, Nazareth was a little bit, you know, uh, off the beaten path. It was a place where nobody would want to live, trailer parks, whatever it was, you know, that, that was Nazareth. But this man recognizes that Jesus is somebody different. They say Jesus of Nazareth. He says Jesus, son of David. He says Jesus, the one who has been anointed to sit upon the throne of David. Two times he says this. He recognizes that this is the one that we've been waiting for. He recognizes that this is the one uh, that will occupy the throne of, of David, the king of Israel, on into eternity. He is the one on whom the promises would fall. He is the one who would fulfill all that was being offered through the line of David. This is what this man sees. He sees a king. Now, part of it, the, the crowds can't see it because they're still looking for a king who would come in power, in might. They're still looking for a king that would deal with the Romans and get rid of them. And if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle in the same way. Maybe it's just me, but I... I was thinking about this this week. Like, I know the words. Uh, I know that the, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I, I know this idea that the way down is the way up. Anybody else with me on that? You, you guys? Okay, Don knows. Uh, that's good. Um, but what I realize about myself is I still want power. I still want, I, I want those things to be the means to the end. You know, as C.S. Lewis says in uh, Mere Christianity, I'm, I'm willing to put in a penny's worth of humility if I can take out a pound's worth of pride. You know, so I'm happy to be meek. If that actually gives me what I want, I'm really not thinking about it in the way that God is inviting me to think about it, that actually the way to suffering is the way forward. It's not just the means to gaining all that we want. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that way. But I, I like to sort of cloak my gospel understandings uh, in a way that sounds good. But what I really want is power. And what Jesus was really doing was going to lay down his life. If you were to capture sort of the, the sentiment of the, the crowds there, they, they wanted a Messiah who would be a strong warrior, a fierce conqueror, a noble king. But what they received instead was a God who loved his enemies, 
forgave his foes, ate with the lowly and the lost. As we wave our palm branches on a uh, Palm Sunday morning, as we sing Hosanna, it's not for a Messiah we expect, but it's for a crucified Christ who was broken uh, and his blood was shed for humanity. It's not means to an end. This is what the Savior came to do. He came to die. And the blind man, the son of David, he, he helps us to see that. And he helps us to recognize that this is our hope too. And it is our hope because this Savior came, as we've already said, uh, in order to rescue the outcasts. It's interesting, the uh, the contrast between the disciples, uh, the crowds, you know, they're rebuking this man and Jesus. He, he has time to stop. We've seen this before. Uh, we, we saw this with the woman, the issue of blood. She presses through the crowd. It's a very Uh, You know, it was a very tense time. There was an urgent mission to go and to deal with Jairus' daughter. But this woman had a need, and she just crept up behind him. She touched the hem of his garment, and he stopped, and he saw her, and he noticed her. And he does the same thing here with this blind beggar, though he's just the wallpaper. He's just the elevator music of that society. Probably all seen Bartimaeus before, but had they ever really seen him? Jesus sees him. He takes the time to stop. And I love that question that he asks. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a great question? And, and, and here we are this morning. Jesus sees each one of us. If you, if you want to be seen, sometimes even if you don't want to be seen, Jesus can be that way as well. But Jesus sees you. He sees you and he recognizes you and he asks me, you know, what, what do you want me to do for you? And maybe it's worth just taking some time this week and, and seeing how you would answer that. How, how would, Lord, I, I want to see, do you really want to see? Because a lot of us are hiding. You know, do we want to see? Do we want to be seen? Do we want to be rescued? Because it's going to cost. There's going to be blood. But it's a, it's a great question for this Holy Week as we come up to Good Friday and we come through Good Friday to Easter. What, what do you really want? What do you want me to do for you? The good news here is that though you may be wallpaper for the culture, you're not wallpaper for the Savior. He recognizes you. He sees you. And he takes the time to stop and to call you to him and to ask you these questions. And the result, of course, is total healing. Uh, we, we see this in kind of the following action here in verses 43, or verse 42 and 43. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it. 
gave praise to God. There's a communal aspect to this healing. All the people participated in that, giving praise to God. What a great thing for us to long for, you know, that our communities would praise God. Our church community, certainly, you know, we have the opportunity to come, hallelujah, salvation and honor, you know, all of those things, to sing praise to God. Um, but, but even our broader community, do, do we pray that, that our broader community, that when we go into the grocery store, that we uh, take a walk around Reed's Lake or wherever you are, that there would just be a, a communal praise to God? How does it happen? Well, it happens kind of person by person, and it happens as people come into contact with those that have been healed, that have been touched. And when we ask for that, when we long for that, and when Jesus comes in and He restores our sight, and He helps us to realize that we're a lot worse off than we think, but we are more loved and imagined, we are more loved and accepted than we ever could have imagined. When we see that, and when we you know, begin to follow Jesus as this blind man does, uh, and they see us praising, that's when the community praises. So what about us? Are we given testimony to what God has done in our life? You know, as we go to work, as we are in our neighborhoods, uh, as you're, you know, at your, your colleges, your place of education, are you giving testimony to what God is doing? Not, not ashamed that you are struggling, but you are delighted because God is meeting you in your struggle and He's giving you freedom. And you are able to run and jump and shout uh, and see because God has restored, is restoring, and will completely restore all that has been lost, all that has been broken. What a testimony we have to share. So here we are. It's Palm Sunday. We've raised, we've waved our palms. Uh, We've uh, we've lifted them up. We've, We've said hallelujah, hosanna. This is the son of David. But the question remains, what do you want me to do for you? And my prayer is that that question would remain with us throughout this week and that just as Jesus came bursting out of the grave on Easter morning, may we too burst to newness, a renewedness of life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its penetrating power. (laughs) Uh, There's part of us that We're hoping you wouldn't be quite so invasive this morning, that you wouldn't really ask us to step forward and to uh, be naked, as it were, before you, but that's what you're asking. What do you want from us? Uh, What do you want from me? And, And that's the question that all of us need to answer, and so, Lord, we pray. As we come to the table, as we sing these songs, as we go out from this place, uh, that you would help us to recognize that it is only in you, Jesus, Son of David, King of kings, Lord of lords, that we see not a king whose plans will perish, but rather we, we see a king who planned to perish on our behalf, 
to restore sight to the blind, uh, healing to the lame, to give a place for the widow and the brokenhearted in order that we might all proclaim the glories and the majesty of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in your name. Amen.